this is Ibrox. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this edition of This Is Ibrox, the Rangers Women's Podcast. I'm your host this week, because uh, Scott has left us this week. It's now me, so um, if you hear a lot of absolute crap, then it's because I'm your host. And of course, my name is Courtney, so you can pass on the comments to Scott and how well I do. I'm delighted to be joined by former skipper Claire Gemmel, who is now a regular face uh, on the podcast. Claire, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. You? Uh, breaking it, but we won't. <laughs> uh, and of course, we're joined by a guest from Rangers, uh, Kevin Murphy, the assistant head coach and academy manager. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm good, Courtney. How's things with you? Um, again, very good, but also breaking it. But you guys will be great guests as always, so I can imagine it'll be great. So, where's, uh, where's, Scott, where's Scott went to, by the way? Is he somewhere exotic or is he just um, want a night he, off? I think he's just thought, do you know what, let's see how Courtney does and we'll get a laugh out of this. I think it's my early or late April Fool's joke. Who knows? But I find up doing really well taking over, then the joke's on him. You know, So Scott, if you're listening, which I imagine you will be, unlucky because I've took a spot. So, you know, as everyone knows, you're the assistant coach with Malky, but you're also the academy manager, um, which I don't think a lot of people know. So can you tell us a bit more about, about your role there? Yeah, so obviously I've got the dual role that you mentioned and a big part of that is obviously making sure that the academy runs as, as well as it can be. So looking after all the coaches, making sure that the, the game model that we've got at Rangers is implemented as best as it can throughout all our teams. Uh, holding parents' evenings, making sure that we're, we're offering the best provision for our young players through the academy. So uh, it's a massive role. It's a, it's a hugely important role because obviously we want to try to bring young players coming through to our first team, which we're starting to see the fruits of a little bit this year. But the challenge for us now is that can we continue to to produce you know that talent through to the first team? So it's a great challenge, but one that I'm relishing and, and we're really lucky that we've got infrastructure at Rangers to allow us to, to have all the tools to do that so yeah that's that's a challenge and I think sometimes having a dual role actually helps because you know obviously in that first team environment and then back to the academy sessions in the evening so I, I can help bridge that gap if you like in terms of information communication between the first team and the academy which I think is actually quite um, a good advantage to have to be fair so yeah en- enjoying both roles although it keeps me very busy. I, I can certainly imagine and, and Claire you were just there last season with Kevin obviously you must have seen how, how much work went into the academy for you so being in the first team uh, what was it like seeing the, the up and coming come through from the academy and particularly Kevin's academy Yeah um, certainly last year you seen a kind of small snippet of the younger girls coming through and I think even now that you can see that they're kind of pushing that on and it's something I think you must be really proud of Kevin to see the kind of basically a good outcome from the work that you're doing there, that you're managing to get some of these girls breaking through into the first team and coming on the games. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a combination of all the hard work that has all gone before it. You know, obviously all the coaches and uh, the players that have been part of that process and journey for a long time, it doesn't happen just overnight. Um, I think what, what, what we say at Rangers is success for us is obviously getting players into the first team. That Ultimately, that's what you're judged, but... We also have seen a variety of players that have left the academy that now go and play and play their trade in the top the top leagues in Scotland as well. And I think that's equally just as good. 
um, because it's unrealistic to think every young player is going to come and play for Rangers. But what we can do is give them a good experience, a good education, so that they can actually go in and play at the highest level in Scotland. And, and we're seeing that uh, on a weekly basis as well, which, as you say, again, gives us great pride and satisfaction to see. I hear that um, the Rangers, especially the Women's Academy, are starting to bring in the, the sort of freedom for the young girls to do schoolwork and stuff at the Rangers Academy. So they're starting to get more experience within like the training centre and, and starting to become fully professional athletes. Um, how's that for you? You know, you've been involved in football for a long, long time, especially women's football. Um, you know, starting off at Hamilton and stuff many years ago. How's that for you, seeing the, the development in the women's game just in general, the fact that that can now be allowed, they can they can learn and play at Rangers if they want? Yeah, I think it's huge. I think for us, you know, having having a dual career focus is massive. And, and Gemmels came through that journey where she's, she's not had that option, unfortunately, where she's had to go and, and forge a career for herself and, and give all her spare time dedicated to football. So... This new batch of players coming through are fortunate that the dream and realisation of getting a professional contract is attainable, albeit it's very difficult, but it's attainable. But we are very, very uh, much aware that their career can be short-lived. And also, in women's football, though it's improving, obviously salaries aren't in comparison to what you would get at the top level in the men's game. So their education is, is fundamental. Obviously, the parents want us to push that as much as we want to push it as a club. So... It's great that there's opportunities now. Part of my job is to, to get some of the younger ones on day release. So we work with the schools to make sure that they agree to get days, certain days off school and that they're catching up on their work, whether that be at the club or at home, and try to balance that as much as we can because it's important for us that we help develop them as individuals, not just as a footballer, but um, as an individual. And obviously education is a key part of that. So it's great that we can try to balance that off um, but making sure that one doesn't take priority over the other. And sometimes that's difficult because the players just want to do football all the time. Um, but that's where we've got to make sure that they're, they're still attaining everything they should be at school. I can imagine it, it can be difficult to to try and do both. But Claire, as you know, Kevin just said, you didn't come through the ranks at that time to be able to get deadlies from school and stuff. Do you wish you'd grown up in that time? Or are you glad that you you know, have had your career now and that it's there for other people to take. It must be a bit of a bittersweet one, I can imagine. Yeah, I, th I think you've actually hit the nail on the head. It is pretty bittersweet, to be fair. Um, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that <laughs> I'm happy that my career's over. Um, I don't think you ever are, but, you know, I, I would have loved to have had that opportunity. But for me, just to have seen how the game's grown and I think so many people that are taking notes of the women's game now don't actually understand where it was 20 years ago and how far it really has come. So it's really good to see that. And as I say all the time, I just hope it keeps going. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can imagine. I don't think anyone's ever happy to say that they've stopped playing. Um, I often like, forget that you've actually stopped playing. I'm still in the process of learning that you're not actually there anymore. Um, but I'm sure it'll take a while to get used to it. Courtney, she's that fit, she could probably still play, to be fair. Like, Gemmel's always been one of those ones who can, who can run and run and run. Um, and I'm going to make her, I, I want her face to be as red as her top, but oh, although she's, no. she's saying it's bittersweet, I think, like, Gemmel and others like her, that they're trailblazing, that, that they're, they're the reason why these opportunities are afforded to the young players coming through, because if it wasn't people like Gemmel and others before her that continue to play at the highest level in women's football and dedicate so much time and effort, then you know we probably wouldn't be in the situation that we're in just now. So, um, although uh, unfortunately for Gemmel, it's maybe not the right time, but I think she can take a lot of heart 
from the fact that she's put it in a, in a better place where she found it. And I think she deserves a lot of credit, as do others before her, to give these young girls that we're talking about these opportunities that they get today. Thanks, Claire. Go, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> there right. we go. I'll send you the invoice later. I'll send you the invoice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really couldn't agree more with that, to be fair. Um, I bet you weren't expecting to come on to this, this podcast and be so serenaded with such lovely words but it is Kevin after all so I was expecting a nice a nice wee message to you Claire No I know definitely I've known Kevin a long time so he certainly knows how to embarrass me but I know he means it in a really nice way um, and as he said it is even folk that played before me there was you know done so so much work just to even get it to where I was 15 years ago so as I said, the game has just improved so, so much and so quickly just in a short space of time, which is just really good to see. So I'm, I'm really chuffed, especially with Rangers putting all the work in from uh, academy level right up through as a first team. I'm, I'm the exact same. I think it's a Rangers supporter as well to see the work that Rangers as a club are doing, not just Scotland as a whole, but the work that, that Rangers are doing as a, as a club is, is massive and to see the investment in the whole one club mentality as well that's, that's coming around is, is really good. I've enjoyed um, seeing all that but Kevin you had a stint at Rangers before didn't you you were um, yeah. the first team head coach a while ago yeah I had many, many jobs many, I had many jobs back then I, I was uh, the, the women's manager the academy manager and I ran the community programme so I had three jobs at that point uh, obviously the, the resource probably wasn't as, as, uh, as good as it is now so to see the change, you know, having left and came back uh, and saw the change in, in the infrastructure and the resources, the investment, that one club ethos that you mentioned, it, it's been brilliant to see. I've seen a massive transformation, obviously, from my first time at the club to, to now. And, and, and that's fantastic to see. And hopefully it can continue to grow and prosper in the direction that it's going. I mean, I've seen um, I've seen many of your different, different roles. One that took me... Was most interestingly was the Manchester City one because you know see the women's team that they've got just now is absolutely incredible. They've got some of the best players in the world. They're still not quite Rangers, but they're Manchester City, so they're all right. Um, what was your role like there? You know, you must have seen firsthand some of the talent that's come through at Man City as well. Yeah, it was fantastic. As you say, it's, a, it's an incredible club. They, they do fantastic things for their for their women's team, and we talk about uh, equality, and, and and they really try to do that at Man City. I've got to be honest, they really champion girls and women's football there. So it was great to be part of that and be part of that journey. Um, obviously, my role was was quite similar to, to Rangers, and I was technical director, but basically that just meant academy manager again, overseeing the the girls' academy at the club, but also had the insight. Um, to go and work alongside Nick Cushion and the guys in the first team and, and see some of the top talent, you know, your Lucy Browns, your Steph Hawkins, Jill Scotts, seeing them train every day was, was fantastic for me as a coach uh, to, to learn and see those kind of the highest level in women's football up close. But it was also then very aspirational for the young players coming through at Man City as well. And we've got young players like Jess Park and Esme Morgan who came through the pathway, uh, or certainly part of the pathway at Man City when I was there now playing their trade in the first team. So it's good to see young players that you've you've, you've had in the academy break through and, and there's a few others I'm sure that'll be chapping down in mm-hmm. a couple of years. So yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience, Courtney. I, I love my time there. It was a fantastic club. They do fantastic things and they've not had a great start to the season so far, but I'm sure that'll, that'll change. We'll pick that up. That They have got abundance of talent, so I don't expect them to, to be where they are on the table for much longer. Yeah. Claire, you obviously have seen, like you said, women's football 
grow massive um, in the, especially in the last few years but we all know that the WSL in England is probably one of the biggest leagues in Europe is maybe the biggest league in Europe how far do you think SWPL1 is behind WSL you know you were literally just a player last year so from a player's perspective and maybe even now from a spectator's perspective how far do you think it is behind it I think it's about being realistic really um, yeah. the WSL got so many years ahead of where the Scottish League is just now and I think it's going to take a long while to bridge that gap you know I think even for you Kev what, what did you think about leaving Scotland at one point to going down there and viewing it from at Man City's perspective to then come back do you think that changed your view and how you looked at women's football and where it could go? Yeah, I think it was good for me because obviously I've only ever known women's football in Scotland, so it was good to put myself out of that comfort zone and go to a you know a new country in terms of England. Didn't know the didn't know players, didn't know coaches, didn't know didn't have a network down there. Um, to be honest with you, their academy program is still going when I went down there, and it still is evolving. Um, but even in the women's game. The like you said, Courtney, there like the, the investment that's came in in the women's game in England in the last couple of years has just exploded. To be honest with you, I don't want anyone really foresaw that to happen so quickly. Um, and like you said, Gemma, it's you're kind of comparing apples and oranges at the moment. I think it's unfair to make a direct comparison because where we were in Scotland five years ago to now is massive, it's massive change and in, in all in the right direction. Um, but we just don't have the, the infrastructure and investment yet that can compete down south. And it's very similar to the men's game, isn't it? Compare the top end of men's football in Scotland to England. You can't really draw comparisons. It's natural because of our neighbours and we'll always look down there. But I don't think it's helpful, if I'm being honest, that we always compare ourselves down there because I, I, I don't think it's a level playing field in regards to investment. So we should maybe take more look at what the Scandinavian countries do in Denmark, in Sweden, etc. And, and how can we draw comparisons there? Because I think culturally, their women's sport is held in higher esteem than it is in Scotland. Uh, and I think we have to then have a cultural shift a bit more again in Scotland. Again, it's improving, but we've still got a far, far long way to go, I think, to, to try to bridge that gap to what it's like in Denmark or Sweden, for example. We've had players obviously come in from different countries, you know, Tessa Medad for, for one, she's from the Netherlands, and Kayla McCoy and, and Brianna Westrup, you know, coming from like the American collegiate systems. You know, what do you think? Um, how surprising is it do you think for players coming from abroad to see what Scottish women's football is like? Because you probably don't even hear about this to be fair in other countries, to be fair. How do you how surprised do you think they were to see how much of a high standard they're held at, especially at Rangers? Yeah, I think they've I think they've loved it and that you've you've just touched on it. Like they're also a huge club at Rangers, so that that carries with the expectation. Already, and the facilities that we have and that we, we use every day, I think, shows that they're in a high performance environment. I also think they're bought into the journey. You know, we're, we're trying to we're trying to create our own little bit of history at Rangers. You know, we're trying to grow the women's team uh, over the years. Obviously, it's not that long since we went fully professional, and we're bringing in players to help us along that journey. So they're not just buying into the club and all the history that the club is attached to. They're also trying to create their own little bit of history as well uh, within our first team environment and try to make Rangers a force, not just in Scotland, but obviously in Europe in years to come. So I think they've loved their time in Scotland so far. I think they like the city of Glasgow. When I speak to them, they, they, they love everything about Glasgow, the people. Uh, they always mention how friendly we are, although 
and they maybe don't have the same people as I do, but um, you know, they're, they're friendly and, and I think they've enjoyed the games. Every game's different in Scotland mm-hmm. as well. You know, we'll have teams that will sit in low blocks and, and give us lots of ball. There'll be teams that will try to hit them on a counter-attack. There'll be teams that are really physical. So I think every game's brought a different challenge for them and I think for them it's all new. So they're learning themselves um, at the same time. But speaking to them as, as I do, they've, they've loved their time at Rangers in Scotland and, and hopefully have many years with us. Yeah. One thing that clearly doesn't change being a professional footballer is I can imagine the routine that you have, um, train, rest, recovery and analysis, all these words that I probably don't even know yet. Um, there was a lot of obviously comments last season from uh, Rangers fans that expect success on a plate every year. Um, I'm one of them, but I certainly didn't expect it last year. But, you know, what for you was the most difficult part of, of being that, you know, because you haven't always been a professional footballer, so you have to transition into one. You know, what was the most difficult part for you trying to, um, you know, train, eat well, rest, recover and analyse all these different things? You know, what was it What was it like for you doing that transition? I think probably my journey was different from others, given the fact I was still working on top of it. So I wasn't fully full-time as such, I was part-time, so... I think probably for me personally, that was the most difficult to try and manage all of those things. But in terms of you're saying if you're just looking at the football side of it, I'm quite a competitive and kind of stubborn person (laughs) anyway when it comes to to winning and different things like that. So I actually found it quite easy to to step to what was then expected. So yeah, I just kind of took it right in my stride, I think. I don't know if Kev would disagree, but I think (laughs) pretty much did. So the only thing I disagree there is you said kinda competitive. You're very competitive. <laughs> no kinda. Very. So, no, I, I remember game we used to come in with matchsticks in her eyes because she's just came off a, a shift, you know, with Aww. work and and she said she then has to come and train for two hours and, and hit the gym and everything else, but her levels never dropped. And as I said earlier, it's remarkable that she could do what she could do. And I think that competitive nature and probably stubbornness. Um, allowed her to, to do that I don't think there's a lot of people that can do what she did but for the length of time that she did and again that was credit to her but she helped drive the standards and, and for us as staff it was kind of easy to point to Gemmo because if people weren't pulling their weight you had somebody that just done a 12 hour shift and then was coming into training for two hours and had any, had no sleep but our energy levels were always high our competitiveness was always high so it was quite good for us as a kind of gauge of, of people and where they're at. And, and, and Gemma, obviously, being captain, she led by example, and that's why she was captain, because she led both on and off the pitch. I don't know how you did it, Claire. I mean, I, I'm on it. I've got a few a few hours at uni, and I think, oh, I've just earned myself <laughs> a nap after uni. I certainly haven't, um, <clears throat> but I tell myself that anyway. But, um, you know, going back to the whole women's football is obviously evolving. Claire, do you wish that... Um, but young girls growing up now in the women's game, you know, I'd imagine in 10 years, things will be so different to what it is now. They'll probably be held to a much higher standard. But do you hope that in the years to come that they don't forget where people like you once were? You know, you had to you had to do what you, you did, you know, 12 other shifts and go and train. Or do you hope that that is literally just left behind and it's a new, a new era, if you like? I think there's a bit of both in that, really, because the game has to develop um, from what it once was. But I think there's something nice in remembering where the game was and what folk had to kind of get through to get it to where it was. But it's I think it's more about them taking that on and pushing that forward in their own way. 
So it's not about forgetting, but it's not about holding on to that either. I don't know if yeah. that makes any sense, but it's just to be kind of their own journey, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it it would be good to, you know, remember where you come from. I think it's that classic. You know, I was told when I moved into London, don't forget that you're from that wee village in Glasgow. Um, and I certainly haven't because people don't know what I'm saying. Even then, I've been here six weeks and um, people treat me as if I'm from the other side of the world. But that's the joys of being Glaswegian, isn't it? Especially being a, a Rangers fan and trying to convince everyone that Rangers is the best club in the world, that they probably don't even know who they are. But the joys, isn't it? The joys. Um. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's heartbreaking trying to have a conversation here sometimes, even though I do speak properly, but that's life in it. So, moving on to the Glasgow City result, one each. What do you guys make of that result? I'll come to you first, Claire. What did you make of the game? Did you watch it? I did watch it. Um, I, I wasn't religiously watching it for, for different reasons, but I did have it on. Um, I felt for me, I think one each was maybe a fair result in the end. Um, I felt it was a pretty frantic game. Nobody had really had real control over the game at any point. I don't think either team did. Uh, no. Probably, if I was being honest, I think Rangers maybe could have won it. I think they maybe had slightly better chances, but I think they're disappointed in the goal they lost. Mm. Um, I think it was massively pre- preventable. But, you know, it's a lemon curve. They didn't lose the game. So I think going forward from where we ended the season last season, that is a positive, but I would like to see them control those games a bit better. Yeah, yeah, that's the exact same as me. I thought, yeah, my heart, my my palms, the sweat that must have come off my palms towards the end of that game was horrendous. You know, I thought James Ross had that goal in the bag. I celebrated halfway and I realised it didn't even go in. Um, when we scored first, I was going mad in this flat. Everyone thought I'd just like fell out the window. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, they lost, lost that goal. Is a bit devastating, but like you said, they didn't lose, so it's an improvement on last season, I'd like to think. Uh, Kevin, what was it like for you standing on that, that sideline? You know, you can't, you literally cannot leave, so you have to stand and watch that. No, listen, I, I think I agree with all, everything that you've actually said. I think it was a fair assessment. We were probably a bit disappointed that we didn't dominate the ball as much as we would have liked. I think we could have played a better brand of football at times. I think we could have put our foot in the ball and, and controlled the tempo of the game. Uh, we didn't. Uh, it was frantic. I, I I totally agree with that. I think the the pitch probably doesn't help. It's quite a small pitch at Peters Hill, um, and two teams who want to get the ball back quickly, it doesn't allow for much time on the ball. And probably the nature of the game, it was more a case of people didn't want to make mistakes. So hence, it was quite direct. Quite a lot of times, I felt we matched them physically. Uh, I agree with Gamal as well. I think we shaded it, and probably chances created. We probably created the better chances, but. We didn't leave Peter Hill on Sunday, you know, saying we should have won the game because we didn't mm-hmm. feel we did enough to say that we should have won the game. Um, what I would say is that City have been the dominant force for over a decade. Um, you touched on it, Courtney, that people expect things at Rangers, and I fully understand that. But when you're bringing something new in and involving it, it just doesn't happen overnight. And I think that when you look at the journey we went on from last season, Certainly the first round of the games or near enough the first round of the games that we've had this season. I think anyone watching us would say there's been a massive improvement, you know, mm-hmm. kind of year on year or season on season, albeit we're only in the first, you know, quarter of this season. And I think there was evidence to say that we we absolutely competed um far better than we did in the previous two ties against them. Um so yeah, so I, I agree with that. I think it was quite an even game. Disappointed the goal we lost, you know, every goal's preventable. 
Um, there was some kind of key things we could have done a lot better to, to deal with that moment. The positives, I would say, that we didn't get lots of chances created against us. We limited City to a lot of chances outside the box. Um, but, as I said, lesson, lessons will be learned for, and obviously we'll make those improvements for, for the, next, the next time we play them. But overall, I thought a, a draw was, was a fair result. Going into the, to the international break, I'm, I'm curious, you know, with the, with the players that haven't been selected or other countries, you know, competing in this international break, you know, what's it like for you with the players that are still in front of you? Is it all about keeping them fit? Is it all about, you know, the, the progress, you know, people, people that are injured, of course, is it all about their rehab? You know, I can imagine you'll be pretty busy over the next sort of 12 days. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because the players are <laughs> on their legs today. <laughs> we had a, had a small group. Um, with a small group training, but we also want to make sure that they still get the load in their legs and that they don't, um, you know, suffer too much in terms of what they're used to in a, in a normal week. But that's a challenge for us as coaches because we're still trying to get them to cover that distance. But it's difficult when you've got smaller, smaller numbers, which often means smaller distances. So, um, so yeah, I'm laughing because at the end of training they're all collapsing onto the onto the floor, absolutely <laughs> exhausted. Um, but we've got a great group, you know, the, the, the group that's with us this week uh, all train really, really well. They're, they're a good bunch in terms of that. Um, we keep them, like you're saying, we have to keep the, the fitness through them. But for others, it might be a maintenance programme. Some people are carrying little knocks and niggles. So we use this time to make sure that they recover fully so that when the games start back, that they're fully fit. It's also a, a chance for the ones that are a bit more long-term injured. That's 10 days that they've got working towards a return date, obviously without missing any game. So it's all of that stuff. And I think working with the smaller numbers, it allows us to probably have a little bit more one-to-one interaction. Uh, we do a lot of analysis, both in individuals and, and units and groups. But I think with the smaller numbers, it just allows us naturally to have more informal conversations and, and doing a little bit more on that as well. So yeah, all of that really um, across international break just make sure that the girls are maintaining the high level so when the rest of the players return, everyone's hopefully running about the same platform ready to kick on uh, for their next game. Are you ever a big fan of the international breaks, Claire? I can see that you had a wee bit of giggles and I, I remember that very vividly. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Kev says, um, I'm just laughing because he's saying that um, it was a hard session for them, uh, smaller Smaller numbers equals smaller rest a lot of the time. So I, I do remember, yeah, and I can just imagine. Oh, it, it does sound a bit it does sound a bit brutal. But going back to, to the game against City, one thing that stood out to me and probably the hardest thing for me was not being there as a fan. Um, the following that, that the team are getting just now is, is fantastic. And I can imagine they played the part on Sunday. Um, I had certainly heard a lot of them whilst the game was being played. And you can hear a Rangers fan a mile away. Um, you know exactly who it is and who they're shouting on. So, uh, was was the impact been like having the fans back, Kevin? It's been fantastic. It's been great to see the, the development in the supporters club. You know, and and starting the season and they're growing in numbers, but they're certainly growing in voice as well. You can, you can hear them uh, during the game, uh, cheering on the players. I love the songs that they've got for the players as well. I've got to be honest, the first time I heard them, I had a little giggle because I wasn't sure of the song. So I was listening to them eh, and I, I thought, this is, this is quite funny. That they've all got a chance for every player. You know, it's been great. And, and I think the atmosphere in women's football is probably something that needs to improve, if I'm being honest. It's not a very family orientated, which is great. But sometimes it tends to lead to quite a quietness during games. 
So it's been great for us having a supporter group that allowed we want to go and sing for, for 90 minutes. And I think for the players, that they really respect it as well because it's not it's not only the club themselves and each other they're playing for, but it's now for these loyal fans that turn up every week, mm-hmm. you know, home and away and support the club. So I think that that's not lost on the players and the staff. So when we see them travelling, wherever we're travelling to or being at home, seeing them with all their banners and flags and singing our songs, I think it's been great. And, and hopefully we'll continue to grow those numbers and, and hopefully the, the fans will support us throughout this season and, and really contribute to, to what we want to try to achieve this season. So no, it's been great to see. Yeah, it's never, it's obviously always too early to talk, title talk, and I certainly want to bring it up. But Claire, do you think, you know, Rangers fans, it's always been said that they're some of the best in the world. And, you know, with how early the Rangers team are in their, you know, development is still very early. They've just turned professional and they've already got a, a wee supporters club going. Um, you know, how do you see them impacting the, the players on the pitch? Do you think they'll be almost the classic quote of the 12th man on the pitch? You know, do you, do you see that happening for them? Definitely, as Kev said, it's especially like last season there, it was so strange to have almost no one at any games. And even before that, maybe at bigger games, like, quarterfinals, semi-finals or whatever, you'd have a crowd. So I think even now coming back, just with everything that's been on the last year over the Scottish game, to see that the crowd's developed so much even since then. And I think the more that basically grows, then it it's can only be good for the players because you do hear it when you're playing. And, and it does kind of spur you on, especially in maybe difficult times and difficult games like Sunday there against Glasgow City. You know, you hear them singing and you're thinking, right, I, I really need to dig in here. So I think it, it really will help going forward into the season. Yeah, one of my favourite songs that I've heard them sing is the one for Custom Miley because some of them say the swear words, some of them don't. Um, and the ones that do say the swear words, you hear them most, and I think it's fantastic. But she's a player that's stuck out for me on Sunday against City. She was, I think she covered every part of that pitch. How is uh, How do you see her development going as a player, Kevin? I can imagine that she's soon becoming one of the first names on that sheet now, especially just coming back from injury. I believe she had she had a rib injury at one point. Yeah, yeah, she she had she had a bit of a problem with her ribs, but no, Kirsten's Kirsten's just like you know you're going to get with Kirsten every game. She's consistent in that way. Her work rate, she covers a lot of distance in games. You know, her level of fitness is phenomenal, and she's just a fierce competitor. You know, she she loves the physical aspect of the game, but she can play with her feet as well. And she's evolved. Obviously, we we tend to use her or have tend to use her as a six, so that kind of holding midfield player. But latterly, in the last few games, she's been used more as an attacking midfield player and getting forward. And and you saw that even on Sunday, she put a couple of great crosses in, you know, one for Chelsea um, and one for Lizzie, the disallow goal. Um, so she, she's working in, in the wide areas now that probably a lot of people wouldn't have seen her doing before. And that's great credit to her because she's got that adaptability to, and flexibility to go and play in different positions. And... As you say, I thought she put in a really good performance. I thought the first half especially, she was she was fantastic. Um, and that's great for us as coaches. You know, we want we want as many players in form as possible. And we want to we want to have a headache come every Sunday to try and pick a team because there's so many people in form. And I think you're right to build Kirsten uh, out there from, from everyone else to say that she had such a good game on Sunday. And she set that bar for herself now that she's got to attain that every week. Um, because it shouldn't just be against Glasgow City, but it'll be every other game. That that's the level that we expect from her and from others as well. So yeah, she's a great competitor, Kirsten. She trains ever so hard uh, every session that she, she she does as well. 
And again, that's a combination of what you see on a Sunday, all the work that she's put in during the week. Craig, you must have enjoyed playing alongside her, you know, covering all that distance and giving you a, a 30 second breather to let her go and run, I can imagine. Well, see, to be fair, I, I ran my fair share. Uh, maybe just not as quick, but I did run my fair share. <laughs> so don't let that fool me. Um, no, she, she was great to play, play alongside us. Kev says, you know, she's she is such a, a great competitor and she, she wants to win and she gives everything in, in games uh, and in sessions. So she's somebody that, you know, if you've got playing next year, you've got a teeny better chance of winning. You know, she'll not give anything up. So, but I think a lot of the girls are that way. It's, I mean, yeah, good to pick Kirsten out, but a lot of them with that attitude. Do you know what I mean? I think that's something you need, especially to win things. Yeah, I mean, I've seen one thing I've seen under a lot of posts, especially at Mrs. Ibrooks, um, because apart from now hosting, I obviously do the social media as well. So I just do everything. I'm just the face of the the full brand now. Um, I see a lot of people commenting. Um, perhaps maybe some people that maybe don't know how football particularly works, but asking how she's not had a Scotland call up yet. Um, what's what's your opinion on that? I'll ask Kevin first. What's your opinion on Kirsten and, and not being called up just yet? Yeah, listen, I think all Kirsten can do is perform week in, week out and, and perform at a high level that, that gives the Scotland coaches a headache because obviously there's a rare talent in that Scotland squad in the midfield, let's not kid ourselves. There's some exceptional talent in that squad. But if Kirsten and others, you know, we can mention Brogan Hay, Lizzie Arnott, Chelsea Kernet, you know, to name but a few in that midfield area that, are not, that haven't been selected uh, in this camp, all talented players, all got different qualities to, to give. And the best platform that they can do that is to do that every week for Rangers. And if they do that every week for Rangers, it's going to cause, obviously, the Scotland coach some some headaches as well. And I'm sure that's what he would want. Uh, I know he was there on Sunday. So, you know, you mentioned Kirsten earlier on having a good game. So I'm sure that that's been noted. But all Kirsten and all other players who have got aspirations to play for Scotland, all they can do is, is do their best for for their club and make sure that they're performing every week for, for Rangers. And if they're doing that, then I'm sure international recognition would follow as well. Coming to you, Claire, obviously you, like I said, you were, you were once a player and very, very recently were a player. You know, for people like Lizzie, who at one point was, you know, being called up to Scotland consistently um, and Kirsten, who's yet to be called up, but playing really well, how do you imagine you'll be You'll be feeling, you know, is it is it a is it a sore feeling not seeing your name on that sheet being called up? Do you think you you deserve your spot? I think if it's if it's something that that you want to aspire to, which I'm sure most footballers do, mm. um, it obviously will be difficult. But I have to really second what Kev says. There's nothing more they can really do than mm. work hard at, at the club um, and put everything into that. And really, it's. It's about trying to, as Kev says, give the Scotland coach a headache in that way. Um, there's really, everything else is kind of out of their hands. It's just about performing at their best level every single week. And hopefully for them, that, that ends up enough. But they are, as Kevin says, up against a lot of talent, you know, all over that squad. It's probably the best squad we've had in many years. So, But I'm sure if they, they continue to put the work in, then they will get their opportunity. Yeah, Moving on to... Obviously, the one club sort of feel that's going around just now. Um, we recently seen the um, the women's team watch the men's team train. I can imagine that was a lot of fun, especially for the men's squad. They can probably, probably didn't want to mess up too much and uh, get a bit of laughter from the sidelines. 
Um, but you know, how's how's that experience for you, Kevin? Seeing that you know the two clubs are literally just coming together to to try and be as successful as possible it must be a really good feeling. Yeah, listen, it's great. I've got to be honest. The manager has been been, been brilliant. Malky and him are our best mates these days. You know, they're um, they're always talking to one another. I can imagine what Malky's like. Um, giving them a bit of banter and a bit of chat. But no, it's it's been great. You know, as you said, we went round to watch some of their training and, and watching the intensity that they train and but not just the intensity but the focus of their training. Sometimes you don't actually get that or that feeling when you watch games, but when you see them in a training environment, how focused mm-hmm. they were. I think it was really good and it was good for our players to to see that as well, the intensity and the focus that they had throughout that whole session I thought was important. For us as coaches, it was good to see how other coaches work together in tandem. And you know, we've obviously got three kind of technical coaches that worked within the women's team. And they've got a similar sort of set up in the men, so it was quite good to see how they worked off of one another uh, as well. So we, we got some learning from that. But I think you you mentioned the one club thing. I think you know it, because you're in the same building, it happens now organically. You know, so the manager may be walking by the office and he'll pop his head in and, and have a five minute chat. And um, it happens casually now. It's not something that's that has to be forced or, or put upon anyone. You know, you saw Morelos at the game on Sunday. No one asked him to go. He wanted to go. Um, and, and I think that helps bring that bridge that gap, you know, and, and we just become part of the club and we're all cheering each other on and we all try to help each other. So it's been really good to see um, that happening, but it should be the norm now. I don't think it's anything that that's, you know, has to be specially made or, or set up. I think it's something that just naturally happens because we're in the same building, we're in the same environment. And we've got the same aspirations and the same goals. So it's naturally that we kind of come together from time to time and, and share ideas and, and try to get as much information, certainly from our point of view, as much information as we can to try to impart that as best we can to the players that we've got and hopefully help them uh, achieve their goals. Yeah, I heard that Stephen Gerrard set up a, a Zoom call during during lockdown as well with the, the women's team players. Claire, I, you know, I can imagine that was quite quite an experience. What was What was that like hearing from the man himself? Well, it just, I suppose, shows you that the dedication of the club and of him to, to go out his way and do that for the Feeney Women's team. He doesn't have to do that, do you know? So it's it's just so good to hear from uh, a different perspective of somebody that's done it all, uh, done it as a player, now doing it as a manager. So it's invaluable uh, experience you're getting and knowledge. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, I mean, I think Stephen Gerrard just to join us in college probably just pass out the spot being as a being a fan but um I can imagine I can imagine it's quite quite the experience but you know that one club mentality like you said Kevin it should just be the norm now and it shouldn't be something to, to write about or talk about all the time but how far do you think it is from from becoming like that with most clubs because obviously a lot of clubs don't have that luxury of even training at the same training facilities as a men's club uh, Rangers I think are one of the only ones that that do that and even share office buildings with their managers it's still quite a distance away I can imagine yeah I, th- I think it's difficult every club's obviously got different um, obstacles for that I think Covid has certainly hampered all of that I think even for us at the club we're involved in a lot more um, but Covid restrictions and being in bubbles and all that sort of stuff has obviously meant we've had to tighten up on a lot of things that otherwise we've probably been a bit more relaxed and we could go and uh, spend more time together. Um, a lot of it comes from infrastructure as well. So, you know, do they have the facilities that can actually host all these teams? We're lucky that the training centre obviously has the facilities and the space to accommodate 
bother kind of senior teams, so we're very fortunate from that point of view. But there's other clubs that perhaps that don't have that luxury uh, because of their facilities obviously don't extend that much to also allow an additional team to train. It's quite a big operation, as you can imagine. It's not just the, the training pitch, it's the, it's the gym, it's the changing rooms, it's the canteen, the food, it's, it's, it's all of that. So some clubs maybe are not geared up for that, but obviously at Rangers we are, and it's been fantastic for us to go and utilise the facilities and the environment. And, and as I said, a byproduct of that is that you're then you're then around you know, people that are living and breathing football every day. And it's not just the first team, it's also academy coaches, your 18s, your B-squad coaches, they're in every day and you're walking by and talking about training sessions or you're observing training sessions. And so it's a real kind of great place for that kind of cross-pollination and learning from each other and seeing different things and learning from one another. So you can't put a value on that. It's so, so important. Whereas if we were based off-site somewhere, I just wouldn't have the same feel, and certainly from a coach, I wouldn't I wouldn't learn as much uh, as I am in that football environment and living and breathing it every day. So it's fantastic, and hopefully other clubs can follow suit. I know one or two do it just now, but hopefully in time, as the game keeps up more professional, that hopefully every club can be like that and have an infrastructure because I think it will only benefit the women's game if they do have that. Do you think we can see a men's v women's team v tournament happening anytime soon? I think that's the content we're all dying to see. Uh, Morelos right up against the likes of Nicola Doherty. I think that would just be the making of the year, do you not know think? <laughs> I think us as coaches, we probably watch it through uh, our fingers because we'd be worried about injuries <laughs> from both sides. Uh, I don't know how uh, Morelos would go up against uh, Brianna, for example. I wouldn't fancy his chances against Brianna. <laughs> Uh, in a 50-50 so I'd maybe have to be done off season I think yeah. but uh, yeah it might, it might make for good entertainment that's for sure it, it's, uh, and I certainly would Claire what would you would you go back and pull the kit on just to go back and go up against uh, I don't even I can't even think of any names just from laughing in my head I can get the picture in my head of Brianna Westrup and I'm thinking well what's going up to a 50-50 oh would you pull the kit back on for it uh, why not? But towards the end, I'm struggling to keep up with females. Never mind men. <laughs> oh, I I think I would. I think if they sold tickets to that, you'd get a sale out at Ibrox. Not even. Be, I'm not not joking. Um, but moving on to a final talking point, probably one that many people are eagerly waiting for throughout the international break is the the game against Celtic, which the quarter final makes it more exciting. Um, Claire, I'll come to you. What's What's your thoughts on it just now? Is the nerves starting to build as, as I expect it or now? Or are you fully confident they'll go, uh, go there and do a job after seeing them on Sunday? I think throughout the, the start of this season, watching Rangers playing in all these games, even right up to Sunday's game, I think we can see an improvement since last year. So I think that for me is what's most important getting into this game. I don't feel nervous about it, but I think they have to apply themselves in the correct way. And have to, as I said, just like Sunday, they have tried to control the game a bit better in these circumstances. And I think if they manage to do that, I think they'll go and get a result. But it's all down to them and, and how they cross the line. But because they've certainly got the talent and the ability. Yeah. It's a quarter final, as I mentioned. Is, is that as a former player, you know, is there a different feel around it being a quarter final? Or do you think it would just be totally the occasion? It's against Celtic, and that's it. I think that's what folk always look at, isn't it? It's Celtic v Rangers, but 
And I'm sure that the players certainly have played myself. You, you do have that in the back of your mind, but you have to remain focused and understand that it's just another fixture against another team. So although it is there in the back of your mind, that you, you do find a way to to kind of put, push that to the side to a certain extent because you need to concentrate on what your job's going to be on the park. And I think that's important and something that they all need to be able to apply when it comes into that game. Yeah, for you, Kevin, how's, how's, how's it looking for you? Do you think your squad are ready to go on and, and grab a result against Celtic? I can imagine looking at last season, essentially can't get, and being the nicest week, can't get any worse. You know, it was a it was a, a three-way streak. So for you, is it just getting that result and, and going on the right foot and hopefully getting every old firm win as possible this season? Yeah, listen, we, we go every game to win, don't we? I respect yeah. the opposition. I appreciate there's extra flavour to it that it's Celtic, but it's a cup competition, um, you know, so without stating the obvious, there has to be a winner. Um, we want to be that team that go and progress onto the, the next round, the next stage. It's we're hampered by it because we've not obviously got the preparation time that we'd like because mm. we get all our players back from international duty and we've got two sessions, you know, to prepare for that game. So... Um, that's a challenge for us as coaches. We've got to make sure that we get a preparation spot on, um, making sure that the players are well drilled in what they expect from Celtic. Um, we will obviously staff. We'll watch Celtic um, from now to then, make sure that we give a detailed plan to the players. But it's then up to us to make sure we articulate that in the couple of sessions that we do have, because we don't have the time because of the international break that we normally do for the opposition. So that's going to be a challenge for us. Um, but we, we treat every game the same. We, we, we look at it on its on its own merit. We'll look at the opposition, we'll look at their strengths, their weaknesses, where we can go and take our game to them, where we think we can get joy and we'll formulate a game plan and, and we'll try to go and execute it the best way we can. So, yeah, we've got into that game confident as we do with any other game, but we've got to make sure that we prepare properly. As I said, it's we're up against that because of the, the kind of limited time that we do have. So it's up to us as staff now to make sure that we give a detailed plan but it's short and concise enough for the players to take and work on for that for that two sessions that we've got them. Obviously, you know, being at Rangers, it's a it's a club that wants to win everything, and, and I imagine that every club's the same. But at Rangers, that mentality is really strong. You know, both of you know that very well. But you know, touch with if anything was to go wrong against Celtic, you know, is the attitude well? We might be out of the cup, but we still this doesn't affect the league in any way because it wasn't a league game, or is it? Will it be like as I can imagine, complete disappointment anyway? Just Claire, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I think if you go out the cup, you're always disappointed. Um, and obviously, going out against Celtic, it, as it's, it's a, just naturally a bigger game uh, because of who it is. But it, if if you're not winning that game, the focus has to, the focus is always a league and a cups a bonus. You obviously want to win cups, but you want to win the league first and foremost. Um, and as I said, it, it's we just need to approach the game in the right manner. I think we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We need to take this game first and then worry about what comes later after it's over. Okay, just lastly, Kevin, we spoke about um, the fans, their support has been great this season. I've seen it, you know, unfortunately through a TV screen, but hopefully I'll be in the stands from the Celtic game because, um, you know, a lot of people say I'll go to Hunter, but I'm actually off uni that day, so I can come if I want to. Um, what would be What would be your message? To the fans for this game, you know, against Celtic coming up, you know, it needs every ounce of support I can imagine. Well, first of all, Courtney, I expect I want to hear you singing 
right from the start. So I'm going to let you there. I am not a singer, I'm a dancer. There's a reason, there's a reason well, that um, I'm not a singer because I sound like someone standing in a pet cat. But I'll, I'll join in with a maraca or something, that's my deal. I'll certainly right, not okay. do it in my mouth. Well, I hope I hope that the supporters just continue to do what they're doing because they've supported us fantastic uh, so far this year. And as I said earlier, we we we're so grateful for the support that they're given. Obviously, we'd love to get as many fans as we can to, to the game, as many Rangers fans to the game to support us as much as possible can. And hopefully, if we can get the the turnout, irrespective of the turnout, though, we want to give a show and we want to make sure that uh, whether you're watching it on the TV or where you're watching it in the stands that you're proud of the team that you see in front of you and that we play for the, the badge and, and we try to play a brand of football that hopefully will get us the, the result that we want. But I heard you were there as um, the, the drummer um, rather than the, the singer, is that, is that right? <laughs> no, unfortunately I won't be there as a drummer, sorry. <laughs> or a singer or a maraca player, I can't do either. <laughs> oh God, this, I'll be there, I'll hopefully be there but um, a singer, I don't think so, because I think the players would then ask for the, the crowd to be quiet, because uh, it's putting them off playing their game, so I'd be doing them a favour by not singing, but perhaps a wee shout or two, because we all know that, that I, I love one of them, and Claire, you know, you were a, a shouter on the pitch I heard last season, so, you know, might as well put your good voice to use. Uh, well, you know, that doesn't change, that's just in my makeup, unfortunately, so, <laughs> playing or not, I, unfortunately, I, I do have things to say. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for uh, on this episode of the podcast. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you both. Claire, great to have you back on. And Kevin, great to have you on for the first time. It's not the last one. Uh, hopefully Scott can have a chance to, to host you on a podcast. Um, but if he does ask, then I would be better host rather than Scott. And Claire, maybe you can even host one week. Oh, that's too early for that. Really for that. Now listen, thanks everyone for listening to this week's podcast. I had Claire Gemmo and obviously Kevin Murphy on. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting this week and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. See you later.